Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study, and I'm so glad that you're here today. Praise the Lord. Before we jump into today's message, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we journey into the study of your word today, we ask that your Holy Spirit will give us new understanding, deeper insight into your word and the great blessings that come when we apply it to our lives. We thank you, Father, for the wisdom application of your word and your biblical principles working for us in Jesus' name. And we all say amen. Praise God. Now, before we jump into today's message, let me remind you, we have our Best of Israel tour coming up May 7 through the 17th, 2023. I sure would love for you to join me and my wife as we go to Israel. We're going to have so much fun. We're going to learn so much about the Bible and the Holy Land. And the Bible, of course, is so better understood when you understand the culture and the setting of where so much of this took place at. And it really is the best of the best tour. And Pastor Kelly went to great lengths in the selection of the hotels that we wanted to get. And by God's grace and by a lot of work, we were able to secure really the very best of the best. I want you to come along. It's going to be a tremendous time. If you're not yet registered, please go to our website, stephenbrooks.org. You'll see the link or the header at the top that says Israel. Click on that and get your passport ready. Uh, $300 gets you registered. And my friends, uh, it's going to be a great time. Uh, I hope to see you on this tour. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Today, I want to talk about the subject of fasting and how it disengages, it disconnects the sin nature. And I think there's a lot of joy in this subject matter because of its great effectiveness. Now, we know that in Scripture, when we study various topics, it's not like you can take one topic or one subject and make that like a silver bullet that works for everything. In other words, we can't take fasting and prayer and try to, uh, let's say that's a, uh, a square peg and make that fit through a round hole. No, it works in the area where God intended it to work. You can't take fasting and prayer and think, well, if I just fast and pray, then like, for example, God will give me money. No, that's a different category. Uh, so you can't take things out of order. Uh, a, a farmer cannot take fasting and prayer and say, I'm just going to fast and pray that God will give me a great harvest. No, a farmer still has to get out into the field and do what? Sow the seed, uh, cultivate the seed, and uh, make sure everything comes along fine so that he can have a great harvest. Now, you can use your faith for the harvest, but everything has to be kept in its place when we work it in, in its proper category we get really, really good results. So the area of, of prayer and fasting, I want to talk about this today and uh, uh, look at it from some different angles that I believe will help you to understand it better. Now, I want to go back to the year of 2003 uh, because I had a very unusual visitation from the Lord. This was actually the first time I ever saw Jesus in a vision face to face. And I was, I was conversing with him one-on-one, uh, -on -one, just as close to him as you are for me right now. That's only a couple of feet from me to the camera, maybe three or four feet. And I saw him that close. And what happened is that I had gone out uh, into the garage of our home to pray. And I was praying, but I I still heard some some ambient type noise, and uh, those things can uh, distract me. So what I did is I just decided, well, so I don't hear any other sounds, I'll go sit in the car that was parked in the garage, and I'll pray in the car. Because at that time, we were living in Long Beach, California, and so, you know, it's a city, and there's a lot of noise and things like that. Plus, there was some activity going on in the house. So I just thought, I'll go in the car, then I can really pray, and I won't have any... Uh, uh, outside things that would uh, distract me. Well, I got into the car, started praying, and I really kind of got caught up in a spirit of worship. 
and just began to really enjoy the Lord and began to praise and worship the Lord. This went on for about 45 minutes. And then uh, I heard a sound, uh, just, it just swept into the car and I heard swoosh. And I could sense that the car, particularly the back part of the car, went down like a couple of inches. In other words, like weight just came into the car. And I knew, I just somehow knew that two angels just came and sat in the back seat of the car. Well, I was, you know, still in that, this place of worship. And so I just, I said, Lord, I said, two angels just came into the car, didn't they? They just came and sat in the back seat. And I heard a rich man's voice, a voice that was very rich and very powerful, uh, not, not even effeminate, but a very strong man's voice. It was a rich sounding voice. And what I mean by rich is like a, uh, uh, the kind of voice that you would want to listen to. Uh, and the voice, uh, so I said, Lord, two angels just came and sat in the back seat of the car, didn't they? And so I heard the Lord speak to me and say, yes, they did. Now, and of course, when you're having a visionary experience or a supernatural encounter, lean into it. Don't try to dissect it and figure it out. Lean into it. These things are spiritual. They're not mental. They're not analytical. So you, you want to lean into the experience. And so I did. And I was just curious. I said, Lord, who are uh, these angels? He said, uh, their names are Joash and Josiah. I said, well, what is, what is their purpose? Because I also somehow knew through spiritual understanding that they were being assigned to my life. And the Lord said, they are to help you during your times of prayer and fasting. Well, I turned around and looked uh, just like this. And there in the backseat of the car, as God is my witness, sat two angels. The first thing I noticed was a little bit different from what I had always been made to understand about angels in, in limited understanding. First thing I noticed is that their hair was not golden or, or you know, like a, like a gold color. Their hair was black, just as black as a shiny black raven. Uh, you know, if you look at a raven's hair, it's, it's, uh, or not hair, but feathers, they're, they're like a metallic black. And their hair of these angels was so black, and even their eyes were black like pearls, like a black pearl, but uh, not sinister, not a speck of that, all just absolute uh, a sense of purity, and they carried uh, the fear of the Lord upon them, which is one of the seven spirits of God. And their robes were like a maroon red color, not bright red, but more of a maroon type red, a real dark red. And even where the, the folds or the creases of the robe would be at, their robes were stained so dark that it almost looked black where there would be creases, uh, very, very majestic uh, uh, beings uh, in the sense that these angels uh, have assignment. And so they were assigned to my life. Well, after I had looked at those angels, I was like, wow, I turned forward. And when I turned forward, uh, the, the little hairs on the back of my neck, you know, you have this small hair or whatever, that, the hair stood up on my neck, literally, because when I turned around, they're sitting in the front seat. The passenger seat was Jesus himself. And it, it totally caught me off guard. And I leaned against the side of the car and looked at him and I said, Lord, <laughs> like that. Uh, and he smiled at me. He smiled at me. And he actually gave me like a few seconds to take him all in. I could see what he was wearing. I could see his robe. He, had a, he actually had a miter type crown that he was wearing that day. And I could see he had a gold sash around his waist. I could see, you know, I could see it in the floorboard of the car area. I could see his, the sandals on his feet. I was able to notice these various details. And it really was a tremendous vision. And so the vision lifted. And, you know, I praised God for it. And in the earlier days of my ministry, say, uh, because this was 2003, I started my ministry in 1998, but in 2003, I was still in the early phases of my ministry, and I was very excited to have had such an encounter, uh, encounter with the Lord, where I actually saw Him, and so I, I celebrated the vision. But, you know, I, I, I eventually had to dial in to what the visionary experience was trying to convey to me. That's what we have to understand. We are excited about the supernatural, but let's not miss 
why this is taking place. And I had to go back to that and really think on that. God has given me two angels that assist me during my times of prayer and fasting. So I began to understand that in order for me to fulfill the calling and the assignment that God has on my life and the specific ministry that he has called me into, it's not an option. It is an, it's essential that I pray and fast often. So for me, it's not like, well, maybe that's a good idea, but you know, I don't think I'll do that. No, for me, it's a necessity. Now, here's the thing. If the Lord would have sent two angels to me and he would have said, now, Stephen, these two angels are to strengthen you during your times of uh, playing and feasting. See, instead of prayer and fasting, if he would have said, your times of playing around, they'll strengthen you. And your times of feasting and eating all the pizza you want, they're going to give you extra strength so that you can, you can eat 14 hot dogs in one setting. Ooh, wow. I, you know, I've been real excited. He would have run around and told everybody I'm going to be the world pizza eating champion. Uh, but you know what? Uh, that's not what the angels are for. And th- th- this takes us down a spiritual journey, and it has turned into a spiritual journey to me. So I want to say for many of you that the call to fasting for some, it's not optional. Now, I believe already, of course, that for any believer that fasting is one of the, uh, we could actually say four great pillars of the Christian faith. You have prayer, you have giving, you have fasting, and you have faith. And so you put these four together and it forms a tremendous foundation in your life. Of course, you need to walk in love, all of those good things. But Jesus uh, primarily talked about prayer, giving, and fasting. So if you don't have one of those operating in your life, something will be unstable or not fully developed the way that God wants it to be in your Christian spiritual walk. So for me, however, uh, the Lord gave a special emphasis on the area of prayer and fasting, that in order for me to do what he has called me to do and also to be the person that he wants me to be, then it means that this is something as a calling goes with me with a consistent walk in my life. I can I can sit here right now and I can tell you exactly what it's like to fast all the way through Thanksgiving when everybody else is eating. See, I, I want to get into the element of the cross today, but the cross which Jesus hung on brought shame and humiliation. The cross, while we celebrate and cling to the cross, it, uh, it demands that we lay our lives down for the greater purpose of pleasing the Lord. So there is a lot of self-denial in the cross. And the whole element of fasting revolves around the element of denying self, not for some morbid reason of trying to punish ourselves or something like that. I, I, Jesus paid the price for our acceptance. Uh, we are in Christ. We're good to go but I'm talking about coming into maturity and also coming into a place where your, your flesh nature does not dominate you or not even dominate, uh, irritate and frustrate you. Praise God. And so in this area, fasting is so effective coupled with prayer. And because of my calling, I'm very familiar with going to big family meals uh, you know, where all the families coming together, not just mine, but the, you know, the, the, you know, the in-laws and on and on it goes and sit at a big table and everybody's eating, everybody's eating except for who, guess who me. And I'm thinking, Lord, this is, this, this is difficult, but you know, they know why they know why. And I don't make any big deal out of it, but there are times where God has required it of me and I, I'm fasting right through Thanksgiving and then, but see, I'm still going to go to the big Thanksgiving meal and everybody's eating here, you know, of course, in America, how we do that, eating turkey and gravy or, or a vegetarian turkey or whatever it might be. But I'm sitting there with a glass of apple juice in my hand, still talking, having fun, you know, and, uh, you know, and relating and stuff like that, but I'm not eating. 
because I'm on some type of assignment that God has me on. I know what it's like to fast all through Christmas when all the sugar cookies are out on the tables and you know, uh, treats and desserts are everywhere. And yet, it's, and sometimes God has called me to fast even through Christmas. I remember one time I fasted uh, through Christmas and I was, it was quite an extensive fast and it went all through the Christmas season and uh, through Christmas day itself. And uh, boy, it's like every day I was having to pass up cake and pie and all of these other things. And it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. Plus you also want to fit in. So guess what happened to me on Christmas Day? Another family meal. Everybody's gathered at the table. The table is just covered with every kind of delicious food you can think of. And there I sit, me and a glass of sparkling apple juice. Praise the Lord. But you know, in the midst of these things that some, some would say, oh, oh, Pastor Stephen, what a horrible life. In the midst of it, I'm bubbling up with so much joy, I can hardly control myself. I'm, I'm so enjoying the presence of the Lord that I'm ecstatic. I'm, I'm having encounters. I, I'll give you an example. The time uh, I was actually in Tulsa with my, with, uh, my family, and did, I was fasting all through Christmas, but yet on the day after Christmas, Jesus uh, came to me and took me in a vision and took me to heaven, and he allowed me to meet Lonnie Frisbee who was used in the Jesus movement back in the 70s and things like that. He actually allowed me to meet him in a park in an area of paradise, and I was able to sit down on a park bench with him and talk with him. Now, when I say a vision, Jesus took my spirit there. I was still in my body on the earth, but Jesus came and took my spirit, and I was able to see uh, into heaven and walk into heaven and travel in heaven and uh, meet him. Amazing, amazing. But see, these things come out of these types of sacrifices. So for me, when I talk about fasting and prayer, I'm talking about biblical principles that generate a disconnect from the uh, very, very strong flesh nature that allow you to get into the spirit and, and begin to touch and experience the things that God has prepared for us. Praise God. So Fasting with prayer enables us to put to death the desires of the body. And if you don't deal with your flesh through fasting, you can experience very powerful, and I'm not over-exaggerating, you can experience very powerful urges and cravings that, you know, you may yield to, or at least these things prove to be a tremendous distraction. I mean, you could sit down and you could try to read your Bible and all you want to do is live holy and serve God and your flesh is bugging you. And it could be the, the element of maybe it's not even bugging you in a sense like, let's go out and do something wrong. Uh, but it could be the element where it just won't let you get into the things of God. And I have to be very adamant on this truth. Your flesh nature, the sin nature, it doesn't want anything to do with anything related to God. It doesn't. Your flesh nature is never going to want to get up early and pray. Your flesh nature is abhorred with fasting. And uh, wow, the, 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 these are things where the, the sin nature is going to do a big pushback. And so you need to know the tools that God has given you to disconnect and disengage that crazy old sin nature, so it doesn't boss you around. Woo, praise God. Amen. So, again, your sin nature does not desire the things of God. Let me say this. Your sin nature absolutely does not desire holy living. It absolutely doesn't want to live holy. It'll fight it in every single way. The flesh wants to be glorified. The flesh wants to do its own thing. The flesh has its own impulses and dictates, and you're going to have to learn how to disengage it. Praise God. Mm -mm. Your sin nature is resident in your physical body. This is interesting. I know there are some good ministers out there that teach a little bit different along this line. There's one minister, he's actually an excellent teacher, but um, in this area, he hasn't been down this road, so he doesn't have, 
uh, although he's a great teacher in this area, he hasn't journeyed on this road, so he doesn't understand some of these things. And uh, this teacher was saying that that the sin nature is totally gone out of the believer. When you become, he teaches that when you get born again, you're saved, and the sin nature is gone. Now, I agree that when you are saved, the old man is put to death, okay? But although when I was born again, the old Stephen Brooks died because I, you know, I was spiritually dead. I got saved, so the old man died. Now I'm new. I'm a new creation in Christ. But here's the thing. Until we either go to heaven or Jesus comes back and takes us to heaven, we are still in a physical body. And as long as you're in this physical body, you still have to deal with the sin nature. Now, this one Bible teacher said, well, these urgings and cravings, he said, no, no, that's not the sin nature. That's gone. He said, what that is, is just memory. Your mind has memory of the things that we used to do. And so your mind is just thinking about that out of memory. Let me just tell you right now, no, that's not memory. This almost sometimes what can be like a magnetic pull where your flesh wants to do something wrong so strongly. No, that's not memory. <laughs> that is the ugly old sin nature that's still there. Amen. So today we're talking about how fasting just boom, takes that stuff offline. Woo. Praise God. Amen. So if you're going to advance with God, you must have a proven system that will cancel out the sin nature, all of those wrong urges and those wrong cravings. You, you need something that flips that switch off. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And as long as you and I are here on this planet, then temptation is going to endeavor to entice us. It's never going to stop. It's going to keep on coming at you and I for the rest of our lives. Even should you live to be 99, uh, even when you're 99, uh, because you're still on the earth and still in a flesh and blood body, then the enemy is still going to try to bring things to you that would entice you. Praise God. But my friends, we can flip that switch off. And you know what? We need to, because there are there are well-coordinated attacks by the enemy against the people of God. And particularly in the very dangerous era in which we're living, I have never seen in the history of the world such a spirit of immorality, particularly that has been released upon the earth and that is also out to infiltrate the church. You know, in the book of Proverbs chapter 7, we see that the spirit of immorality actually has sworn an oath to take out God's people. Did you know that? And this is, this is just one of the many reasons why there needs to be the flipping off of the switch to various uh, impulses, praise God, because the enemy is really uh, throwing everything he's got in the last hours and days before his time is up. Proverbs chapter 7, let's go down to verse 10. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> verse 10. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. Verse 13. So she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face. She said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. Now notice that this adulterous woman, this uh, sexually immoral woman said, Today I have paid my vows. The spirit of immorality has made a vow that we're going to take out Christians left and right and they have actually vowed, this spirit has vowed to do this. And there are many diabolical agents that go out and influence uh, people to get tangled up in these types of vices and these types of traps and snares. But, but my friends, there is a way out. I would say, along with fasting and prayer, in these types of scenarios where the enemy has actually vowed to take you out, 
then what you have to do also is that you have to contradict and you have to do something contrary to that vow. In other words, you have to make a vow yourself. And I know there are some Christians that won't make a vow for purity. I watched a couple of decades back as there was a very, very popular Christian men's group. There were three guys. They were wildly popular in the church and even secular uh, media. They, they had caught their attention as well. But, uh, you know, they, they proclaimed to serve the Lord, but there was one of them that was very weak spiritually. Matter of fact, when they put a camera in front of his face and said, you know, you're singing all of these songs, you and your group about living holy and serving God. Uh, do you yourself live, a, do you follow these uh, things that you're proclaiming? He goes, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to say that I don't make my mistakes. and I don't. So he basically would not make a vow or a public commitment to live pure in the area of sexual purity. And today, he has completely fallen away from the Lord, while the other two are still going on strong with the Lord. So when the spirit of immorality has made a vow to take you out, you have to make a vow that says, no. I will never do that. And so you make a vow of purity to the Lord. The Lord sanctions vows when they are, when they are done in the right way and with the right purpose. You know, when Goliath was taunting David, Goliath vowed, I'm taking you out. I'm going to kill you and destroy you today. What did David do? Did David say, well, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Well, they may be entitled, but here's what David did. David made a counter vow. And he said, he said, no, the only person dying today is you. And I'm taking your head off of your shoulders today. And I'm going to feed that big body of yours uh, to the birds. I'm taking your carcass and I'm going to feed it to the birds. So the enemy vowed to take him out. David countered and said, oh, I'm, take, I'm making my own vow. I'm taking you out today. See, when Pharaoh's magicians and his wise men took their staff and uh, threw it down, their, their rods also turned into serpents, just like Aaron's did. Aaron had thrown his down first. Well, they throw theirs down, and theirs also turned into serpents. But the rod of Aaron swallowed up all of the other uh, uh, rods, and that represented that Pharaoh hey, it's already over before it starts. This thing, you're going down the wrong path, and we know you're not going to yield or give up. But see, there is the swallowing up of the evil vow, the swallowing up of the evil purpose. And Egypt uh, used to be a divided uh, uh, place. You had North Egypt, you had South Egypt. Well, that Pharaoh had conquered Southern Egypt, and he had brought it into a unified Egyptian nation. And the god of the southern kingdom was a snake. And this was a, a, actually a goddess that they worshiped. And Pharaoh, standing there in, uh, you know, uh, in front of Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh on, the, on his crown actually had the emblem of that snake. And what God was saying is that my authority is greater than your authority, and you're going to be swallowed up. So whenever the enemy says, I'm going to take you out, you're going to fall just like all the others. And what you have to do is you have to say, oh, no, no, devil, I will never yield to that. And you make a vow to God. God, I make a vow to you to live pure in a filthy, dirty world that I will, I commit to keeping myself pure in this area. Praise God. Now, once you have a vow and you've established that before the Lord, fasting and prayer energize that vow. In other words, you make the vow, but it's like the cement is wet and you, you're thinking, well, I've made it. Oh, Lord, I, I've got to live it. And uh, I, I don't want to ever go, go back to the vomit. And that's what we see in the book of Proverbs, that the dog will go back and, uh, you know, maybe the dog threw up. Well, the dog will go back and re-eat the vomit. That's crazy. But that's what it's like going back to sin, going back into these things of immorality. But you make a holy vow. God, I will never go back to the vomit ever again. And you vow a holy oath unto the Lord. Praise God. Well, again, that vow may be like cement that was just poured and it's still wet. But as you fast and pray, that vow now becomes set 
in rock hard cement and can never ever be changed. You know, there's, um, cement columns and pillars and things like that. The Romans poured over 2000 years ago because they were the inventors of cement, concrete, etc. But it's still, it's still around today. It's not, it'll be around till Jesus comes back. So your vows become permanent and they become hard cement steadfast when you live a life that's submitted to crucifying the flesh nature, disengaging from the sin nature through prayer and fasting. Praise God. Now, the answer to every temptation is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to say that again. The answer to every temptation, regardless of what it is, is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. And in so many ways, the cross represents self-denial denial of self. Praise God. Let's go just for a moment to the gospel of John, John chapter 19. Jesus carrying his cross is mentioned in the various gospels, but I want to go to John chapter 19 and we're going to drop down to verse 16. Then he delivered him. He delivered Jesus to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away and he bearing his cross. We have to be willing to bear our cross, regardless of what it is. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. Praise the Lord. There's something about bearing your cross that the switch just uh, gets flipped off of carnal desires and uh, impure cravings. When you carry your cross, it just kills all of that silly, crazy, stupid stuff that would be in the flesh nature. It puts it under and it keeps it under. Praise God. When Jesus carried the cross on the Via Dolorosa, which is a Latin word that means the way of suffering, when he carried his, his cross from station to station, my goodness, uh, he's already been scourged. They've hit him in the head with their, uh, they've punched him in the face, in the head with their fist. They've hit him in the head with rods. They have put the crown of thorns on him. He's, he's close to bleeding out and dying. So uh, there is somebody that is forced Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross. But Jesus carried his cross, my friends. And when you're carrying your cross, the things of the world strangely lose interest to praise God. Can you imagine? What if, what if I could take you into a time machine? What if off to the side of my set, right down the hallway, we have a secret time machine here. And what if you could come by and visit me and I could say, come on, let's go. I want to show you something phenomenal. And you and me get into the time machine and we pop out 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. And I said, now come quickly. Come quickly. And we actually are able to witness Jesus carrying his cross, his back ripped to shreds, the crown of thorns on his head, blood running all over his face, blood running everywhere. What if we would have gone up to him and we would have, you and me, what if we would have gone up to him? We worked our way through the crowd and we would have said, Jesus, did you hear about the Super Bowl? Oh, Jesus, what an exciting ending it had. It came down to the last quarter and the last few minutes. Jesus, what do you think about that? At that moment, while he's carrying his cross, such a thing to him would have no rele uh, relevance in his life. What, what if you stuck a microphone in his face and said, Jesus, can you, while you're on the way to die and be crucified, can you just for a moment tell us about who you think is going to win the World Series? If he would have responded, he basically would have said, I have no interest in that. Mm. There's something about carrying your cross and crucifying the self-nature and den denying what your body wants to do that very quickly, you begin to lose an interest in what so many think is center stage, but it's really not. It's just a big distraction. 
Mm -mm. To, to do these distractions to do anything to keep people from receiving Christ, from hearing the true gospel. Why? That they might be saved. So the world shouts and presents one activity after another, one thing after another, to keep people in a state of constantly being stupefied and overloaded in the sensory realm. But my friends, when you begin to embrace the cross and carry it like Jesus did, the things of the world begin to grow strangely dim. And not only to you, but because you're carrying that death on the inside of you, it produces life. And now the life that you're living has weight, has impact, and it actually causes your voice to cut through all of the chaos and craziness that's out there where some hear it with absolute clarity, and they say, I want to receive Christ. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, glory to God. I'm sharing, I'm sharing some things that you don't always learn when you're a young Christian. Uh, maybe one of the reasons you didn't learn it is you didn't have anybody to teach it to you. In, in some ways, we are a product of what we know, and we only know what we have been taught. But the walk of the Spirit, the walk of the cross, will fast-track you, where you don't have to wait 20 years before maybe you stumble across a teacher who is unveiling or unpacking these truths. But if you embrace the cross very strongly early, then God will unveil these things, and then you can make the progress that you're supposed to, and very importantly, complete the assignment that God has for you. Praise the Lord. I want to read a few statements from evangelist, world-famous evangelist Jimmy Swaggart, and let me just read a couple of short paragraphs and explain to you the frustration years back that he went through of not knowing how to disengage the sin nature. And by the way, um, that's one of the reasons one of the reasons why the Lord led me to the Catholic saints, the ones that would be sometimes identified as being mystics, not because they're strange or spooky, but because they had a deep walk with God where they knew God in a way sometimes that I found I couldn't even find, I could not even find evangelicals who knew the Lord in this way. You ready for this one? Sometimes I could not even find Pentecostals who knew the Lord in ways that some of them knew. And I knew when I began to look into their lives that they had discovered the power of the cross and they knew how to turn that switch off of the flesh nature. Mm -mm. And that's why, although some of them lived maybe 50 years ago, some of them maybe lived 500 years ago, we still read about their lives because they knew how to connect with that power. And so you could be living in the modern era and have all these teachers and all this busyness, but still uh, it's kind of shocking sometimes, um, the superficiality, in other words, lack of depth that can be uh, amongst all of the ocean of busyness, even within the church. This is what Jimmy Swaggart sw said. Public humiliation, especially on a worldwide basis, is a trauma that many people never get over. You know what he's, many of you know what he's talking about by that statement. There is no way to describe it when one has failed despite doing everything that one knows to do to not fail, one is left with confusion. Since the Lord is never the author of confusion, the situation quickly becomes unbearable. In such a situation, regrettably and sadly, everyone else knows why you have failed, and they are quick to voice their opinion, but the truth is they do not know. I came to find out in all of this that most of the modern church has little idea how to live for God, and I would like to shout amen to that, because that is the truth. He continues, Oh yes, one can definitely be saved without knowing how to properly live for the Lord, but one most definitely cannot walk in victory without knowing how to live for God. If one does not understand the message of the cross, even as it was given to the Apostle Paul, then simply put, such a believer does not know how to live for God. He continues, 
After seeking the Lord day and night, so often with tears, for a period of some six years, suddenly and without warning, the Lord began to open up to me that for which I had so long sought. I honestly don't remember the day or the month, but the year was 1997. I had spent some six years in concentrated prayer, seeking the Lord, imploring Him for guidance and direction. Very early, he says, probably about 6 a.m. on the morning in question, I was in my office working on the Romans commentary. In fact, I was working on the sixth, sixth chapter of that great work given to us by the Apostle Paul, which actually is the theology of the church. I was studying some material written by the late Dr. Kenneth Wiest, a noted Greek scholar and brother whose great love for the Lord was obvious in his writings. By the way, here is that Bible. It's called the New Testament, and it's, it's an expanded translation by Kenneth Wiest. If you consider yourself to be a serious Bible student. Now, if you're casual or just cruising along, that's okay. But if you consider yourself to be a serious student of the Bible, you must have this New Testament translation in your library. The book of Romans translated by Kenneth Wiest is probably one of the most incredible translations of that epistle that I've ever read out of the many translations that are out there. So Jimmy Swaggart is saying he was reading this when he caught a major revelation. By the way, because uh, Kenneth Wiest was a Greek scholar and he's expounding the English into the fullness of what the Greek is conveying, look how thick, look how thick the New Testament is. Now normally a New Testament translation can be about, about uh, that thick, okay, right here. But uh, he expands it and brings out the fullness of what is being said. Wow, you really need that in your library. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, let me continue. Praise the Lord. He says that Dr. Wiest was explaining the sin nature. All of a sudden, Jimmy Swaggart says, the Spirit of the Lord came over me, and he began to reveal to my heart the meaning of this aspect of our Christian experience. In a moment's time, I saw it, and I saw it clearly. I can remember getting up from behind my desk and pacing back and forth across my office, tears streaming down my cheeks. The Lord then spoke to my heart and said, You have asked me the cause of your problem. It is the sin nature, and your lack of understanding about it, about how it works, and how it is to be controlled. Strangely enough, even though the Lord gave me this information, which was the answer to so many questions, still at that time, he did not tell me how to control the sin nature. He just simply told me that this was what constituted my problem, which also is the problem of every single believer in the world who does not understand what the Lord gave to Paul and which Paul gave to us. He continues, it was in one of the morning prayer meetings, actually only a few days after the Lord had given to me the revelation of the sin nature. At that time, I was seeking the Lord, actually asking Him to reveal to me the solution to this problem. How are we to address the sin nature? How can we control it? He began to speak to my heart. This is what the Lord told him. The answer which you seek is found in the cross. The solution which you seek is found only in the cross. Praise God. My friends, that's the key right there to walking in victory. Now, here's the thing. How do we make application of the message of the cross? What is the cross telling us? It's telling us denial of self. Jesus said, we must be willing to take up our cross. Now again, he carried his. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Praise the Lord. My friends, the 
the drawing or the pull to walk in the flesh is so powerful, almost, almost sometimes it can seem like a magnet. And some of you, bless your hearts, you don't really understand how treacherous the flesh nature, the sin nature can be. And so you need to know where the flip off switch is at. Praise God. We need a mechanism to disengage the powerful cravings of the flesh. You need some form of an application of self-denial that you can engage in any time that you want to. Now, let me say this. The modern church in America today does not, absolutely does not embrace the message of the cross. It's sad to say that, but I think that many of you have also have been aware of this reality that we're living in. Not embracing the cross leads to a diminishing of power. What do you mean, Pastor Stephen, by a diminishing of power? In other, in other words, the supernatural begins to evaporate out of your life, out of the church, out of your experience with God. So not embracing the cross leads to a diminishing of power, a diminishing of personal consecration, and also it creates blockages to knowing God in an intimate and very up-close personal way. Praise the Lord. So let's go further with this. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, this is chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Praise the Lord. Follow, follow along with me because fasting and prayer is a mechanism that God has given to us to keep the flesh under and to walk in victory. Praise God. And as we get closer and closer to the end of this time period in which we have before the Lord returns, my friends, um, you can begin to look around the world in a sense. You, you just see the vanity of all of it, and it's already wrapping up. So it's not the time to engage the flesh. It's in time. It's time to engage the word and the spirit and to prepare yourself for eternity. You know, some Christians get all excited. They read scriptures like in the book of Revelation, where it says that we will rule and reign with Christ. And they think, oh, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Oh, Pastor Stephen, I'm going to rule over Hawaii. I'm going to rule over Fiji. Ever notice nobody wants to rule over the North Pole? I don't know. Anyhow, but they, they think I'm going to rule and reign over a city or a state or whatever it might be. They fail to understand the context of that verse, that the ruling and the reigning is for the overcomers, those who got locked into self-control, self-denial, and they could do what? Govern their own life. That's the problem we have in Washington, D.C. You have all of these people that are governing things uh, improperly. Why? They can't govern their own life. In, in their secret life, or even sometimes their open life, they cannot control their cravings. And so it's, it's exhibited in areas uh, of display of uh, lack of control. And they spend money way beyond what they have. Why? The, no control. They cannot control themselves. And so they get into places where they're dealing uh, with other people's money and they can't control it there either. That's why we have trillions and trillions of dollars of national debt. What is that an indicator of? People that can't govern themselves and they can't control themselves. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So in the millennium, when Jesus is ruling and reigning, those that are placed in the position of ruling and reigning under his authority will be people that did what? Exhibit it self-control, who could govern their own life, especially their private life. And I have not found other ways to get into this place of effectiveness in this area outside of prayer and fasting. Woo, praise God. Amen. And I'm not about to go out and try to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> See, you could also know these truths. You can know what Jesus did for you and I at Calvary and the power of the cross. But that revelation becomes energized through application of prayer and fasting in your life. Ooh, praise God. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six. 
for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. In other words, this, uh, uh, pushing back the self-life, the self-interest, wanting to do our own thing, and embracing the Lord's will, which there's a death process in that. You're saying no to your, your own thing, your own cravings, and you're saying yes to the Lord. So that you're carrying about the, the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now look, look at verse 12. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Pastor Stephen, I enjoy your teaching. Uh, th that's just wonderful. It's building me up and blessing me. Well, praise God. I'm glad it's been a blessing. I'm glad it's helping you. I had to die to get that message. I had to be willing to say on a beautiful sunny day that I'm not going to go out and do what others may do. I have to stay here because I have to pull something from the Word of God that will be heavenly manna to feed God's people. This is a demand upon my life, and if I have to fast, pray, and sit here all day, I'm going to get this message. So that is a dying process that I go through uh, instead of maybe going out and just having all kinds of fun, doing all kinds of stuff, and then maybe just pulling up a repeat message or canned message and just throwing that out there and thinking all the people never know the difference. No, no. Go through the dying process, and through that, what happens? Life is released to others. I ministered in a meeting one time, and God's power came down so strong, and people were just like, wow, we have been so fed, we've been so blessed, and the Holy Spirit moved. Oh, Pastor Stephen, that's wonderful. And so what are they doing? They're experiencing life. What they don't know is that before I went there, I laid on the floor for 12 days and fasted and prayed and ate no food, not even a sesame seed, and sought God to pour out His power. What is that? My death, so that they might have the life of Christ. See, I'm connecting with His death through the part of my ministry where God requires of me that I fast and pray in order to connect with His flow with his revelation and thus release that into the lives of others. And so as you tap into this also, you become a life source for others. Again, so death is working in us, but life in you. You must release the power of the cross in your life. You must embrace the cross. And that's often the things that we don't want to embrace. Nobody's excited ever about fasting. Nobody's flesh ever jumps up and says, yeah, I want to go to the prayer meeting. No, you want to watch TV and watch another sports event, okay? I understand that. But when we say no to those things of the flesh and embrace the cross, you're, you're instantly now coming in contact with the life of God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Two more scriptures. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. Paul said, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. The last thing you want to do is be operating as the Apostle Paul, uh, being a gold standard of ministry excellence, and then have that blow up or fall apart. So he is making sure that that never happens. And how does he make sure? By the statement he just made. Now let me read that to you from the West, the West translation. And let's see what Kenneth West, Greek scholar, let's see how he translates verse 27. Now this is what everybody would have heard in Paul's day when he wrote that. Paul said, But I beat my body black and blue, 
And that, that's literally what it's meaning in the Greek. But I beat my body black and blue and make it my abject slave, lest somehow when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, he's not physically saying that he's beating himself back in blue with his fist or hitting himself over the head with a stick. He's talking about disciplining his body through prayer and fasting and doing what his flesh doesn't want to do, which is fasting and prayer and these spiritual disciplines that cause you to be a high flyer in Jesus Christ. One more scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And let's drop down to, let's go to verse 27. Again, Paul is talking. He said that he was in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Now, he says that he was in fastings often. And that's not just something that, because maybe uh, he's in an area where there's no restaurant. This here was self-imposed. Fastings often. You know, in the scripture I just read about the buffeting of the body, there are a lot of Christians that kind of laugh along with that verse, and they say, well, Pastor Stephen, I, bu I buffet my body. In other words, you know, they go to a buffet. What is a buffet? It's a restaurant where you pay a flat rate, let's say $20, and you go in there and you can eat anything you want, and as much as you want. But the moment that you do that, you feel under obligation now to get your money's worth. So I've seen people almost the only way they can get out of that buffet after they're done, you've almost got to roll them out with a wheelbarrow. They are so stuffed, so bloated, and uh, uh, they, can't, they can't function. They have overeaten. That's not uh, what we should do in the sense of uh, buffeting the body, but to buffet the body. And again, in the Greek, that's meaning to beat it black and blue. No, not taking a, a stick and hitting yourself and beating yourself, but disciplining your body through prayer and fasting so that switch of that sin nature is turned off. And here's the thing, kept off. That's why Paul says, fastings often keep that switch turned off. Praise God. Mm -mm. Glory, glory, glory to God. The Holy Spirit is moving. So I wanted to share these things today with you concerning prayer and fasting so that you can disengage that sin nature and it stops bugging you and driving you crazy. Mm -mm. Because there is a place you can run smooth and the flesh just stays uh, cool, stays uh, uh, just like what it's supposed to. You just go about in your body, your body works and your body doesn't bug you. And it's almost like you don't even realize it's there, except, sure, you know, you, you, you are here in flesh and blood. But as far as you know, you're just going about doing the Lord's business, sleeping, whatever you need to do, and uh, uh, eating when you do need to do, but also in fastings often. Praise God. Praise God. I believe as we get closer to the end times, just as John the Baptist, whose ministry was highlighted by prayer and fasting. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. He was the one saying, prepare the way of the Lord. But as we dive further and quickly into the end times and also throughout the end times is always viewed in scripture as a very short sliver of time. As we get closer to the end, we're going to see the corporate body uh, the prophetic body, not just one John the Baptist, but now a corporate body prophetically declaring, get ready, the Lord's coming back. And, you know, we will, just as John was in fasting and prayer, so we will also, as a corporate people in the end time church, praise God. Some more, some less, but everybody engaged in the level that God has called them to. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those that are watching today. I thank you that even there are some right now as I'm, I've been teaching, you're speaking to them about fasting more often, maybe doing a particular type of fast. And I thank you, Father God, that your spirit speaks and that those confirmations are being made right now and those intents are going to be carried out with great effectiveness. So, Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and Amen. Now, if you're watching today's program, 
My friend, I must tell you that even if you think you're a spiritual person, maybe you even fast, but if you don't know Jesus Christ, you can't go to heaven. He is the great mediator between God and man. He is the Son of God, and nobody goes to heaven, nobody gets to God except through Him. So today, choose life, choose Jesus, get your life right with God, and then step into all of these kingdom blessings that are available for you to enjoy. If that's you, I want, to, I want you to pray this prayer out loud. Just say, Jesus, come into my heart. I turn from all sin. Wash me from all sin with your precious blood. Write my name, Jesus, in your book of life. Save me now. Thank you, Jesus. And step into my life and lead me and guide me from this day forward. Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen and amen. And he has heard your call to him, and he has saved your soul. Welcome to the family of God. Praise the Lord. Glory. Glory to the Lord. Well, let's take Holy Communion today. Praise God. And also, as you fast and pray in your various times, uh, you know, communion is very, very powerful, and it seems to even be uh, highlighted. It's do all of the truths of God's Word it's, it's like revelatory knowledge just begins to explode. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I want to encourage you to get some unleavened bread, a little wafer, a little cracker, whatever you've got. Okay? Grab some grape juice. If you don't have grape juice, you don't have a cracker, grab a little piece of bread, grab what, any kind of drink, soda, whatever you've got, and uh, use that for now. Okay? It's not so much about the item as it is uh, your willingness to receive the Lord's flesh and blood. Okay, So grab something. I use these little wafers, and I use grape juice. Let's pray. Father, we bless the, the juice, the bread. We thank you that this is now the flesh and blood of Jesus. It's set apart as being holy. Father, we thank you for the flesh of Jesus, that as we receive it, we receive strength. We thank you that in the natural, we eat food for physical strength. But in the spirit, this is our food, the flesh of Jesus. And we thank you that it affects us. It even affects our physical body and can give a full sensation during times of fasting. We thank you, Father, for the grace of fasting being released upon us now as we receive the body of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together. Some of you are going to step into that reality of visions and revelations that you've long desired to step into when you embrace the cross and its associated aspects of prayer and fasting. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus, the cleansing of all sin, walking in a state of righteousness and purity. We thank you, Father God, that also any evil vow that would have been spoken against us, we make a holy vow that we will live for you and that the enemy will never have us, that we belong to you and we belong to you solely. God, we give you praise. Somebody, you're watching me and you're a singer and God has given you a gift and the enemy is vying for that gift and he really wants it. And he'll take you and he'll uh, promote you and parade you as his voice, as a mouthpiece for him. But the Lord is saying, if you will embrace the cross, you'll come into the real life. And so you're on the fence. And the reason that you're a little bit afraid is because you haven't vowed. But a vow ends that intimidation of the enemy. And a vow can be cemented through a lifestyle of fasting and prayer. And your eternity, you will shine as a star if you will make this commitment. If you if you yield to the enemy, you'll be used by him like a worthless tool and then thrown away when he's done with you. And you'll never be able to get back to the place that God had for you. Oh God, we thank you right now that destinies are being unleashed and unlocked and they're glorious and we go your way. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. We give you praise. We receive the holy blood now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's receive.
Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Glory. Glory to God. Well, thank you for watching today. And also, please be mindful about our Israel tour. I know that's still some months out, but it gives you time to prepare, to get everything ready, like your passport, get uh, registered and signed up, make those payments, get it paid off. And I look forward to seeing you in Israel. We're going to have a great time. And until next time, stay blessed. Have a great day. Bye-bye.